Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you grew up with brothers and sisters? How many of you had siblings? Let me see some hands. And if you didn't grow up with siblings, you grew up with friends who had siblings, and maybe you were like, yeah, I wish I had that. Or maybe you were like, I'm glad. I'm on my own. I can watch Netflix. We're good. Don't have to worry about it at all. Well, for me, I have one sister, and her name is Amaris, and she's here today. And I love her with my whole heart. And when my mom was pregnant with Amaris, I was about five years old, and my parents did a a wonderful job explaining to me before she arrived that this new person who was going to be in our family, that she was mine. She was going to be my sister. She was mine. They did a wonderful job of explaining that to me. And whenever she finally did come along, I wanted to do whatever I could do to help out the family with my new baby sister. Why? Because she was mine. It was my sister. And I remember in the first grade, we had what we would call show and tell Fridays. I don't know if everybody experienced the same experience that I did with school, but it, when you were in the first grade, oh, show and tell Friday, <laughs> that's where everybody's going to be. That's what everybody's been talking about. Hey, hey, on the playground next to the slide, you hear, you hear what Josie J is bringing to show and tell? I heard she had a horse. I don't know if it's a real horse or a fake horse, but we're going to find out. Gary Bell, he's bringing, he's going to bring his pet gerbil? Are you kidding me? So Friday, show and tell, is a hot commodity for a first grader. And there was this one particular Friday that I was really, really excited. I was really excited And I had been planning this for months. And a first grader planning something for months means that they are extremely determined and extremely excited, as I'm sure you parents know. This particular Friday, I was was excited because I was bringing my sister to show and tell, my baby sister. I was doing something that no one else in the history of first grade did. I brought a person. I brought my baby sister, and I got to to bring my little baby sister, and I told everyone about her. I said, this is my baby sister. She laughs a lot. She cries a lot. She has toe jam, so I got to clean out her toes (laughs) all the time. Her diapers are really stinky, and, and she watches cartoons with me, and I get to hold her, and I get to love on her. This is my baby sister. And I was so excited to share this with our class, that she was mine. And I've always felt like that about my sister, that she was just as much mine as she was my parents. Hold on to that. That's going to come back around. And you know what else I love? I love my church. I love Redemption Church. Does anybody else in this room love Redemption Church? 
I have watched so many people walk through the doors of redemption and get into a community group and start serving on a serve team and making connections with people and experiencing life change through Jesus. Being able to serve here at Redemption Church has proven to me that this is worth investing the rest of my life into. And I'm not the only one who feels that way because I listen and I talk to you guys and you're finding out that this is something worth investing in. I love my church. And today, we're going to take a look in the book of Ephesians as Paul shows how he, he prays for his church because Paul, he loves his church. Ephesians is a letter to the church of Ephesus, which was his church. And this letter is considered to be a prison epistle. And for those of you like myself who didn't know what that meant, it means that Paul wrote Ephesians, this letter, while he was imprisoned in shackles and chains. While he was imprisoned, he, he wrote this letter to his church that he loved. And he didn't know what was going to happen, if he was going to get out of there, if, if maybe he might die there. But there's one thing that we do know. Looking at Paul, we know that praying for your church must be important because a man facing death is also faced with the most important thoughts of his life. And we know what Paul was thinking about. We know that Paul was thinking about Jesus and he was thinking about encouraging his church. He wrote this letter to encourage his church. And one of the ways that he did that in this letter is he prayed for them. And that's what we're going to take a look at. How many of you can say that you are crushing it in your prayer life? (laughs) I got a couple of y'all out there. And I just want to say, hey, side note, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You guys are the ones who are the gasoline that keeps this church on fire for Jesus. So thank you for what you do and for the rest of us. (laughs) How many of you would say, I could do do a lot better whenever it comes to praying? I'm going to let you in on a little secret today. Me too. (laughs) So whenever Pastor Byron asked me to preach this time, I said, absolutely. Yeah, let's do this. It was a little scary, but here we are. Let's do it. Let's go ahead and go for it. He said, okay, great. I want you to preach over prayer. And I said, ah, I need to start praying. (laughs) Obviously, so I could practice what I preach. So that's what I did. I struggled and struggled and struggled, but I prayed and I prayed for you guys and I, and I studied on prayer. And this is where we're at right now. So I want you to know that as I'm preaching today to you, I'm also preaching to myself. So if you would, let's go ahead and turn uh, to Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 14 through 21. This is going to be our text for the day. So I'll go ahead and start in 14. It should be up there. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And to And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people 
to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Heck of a prayer. (laughs) Today we're going to look at this text, and I want to give you three key questions that will help you to be encouraged to pray for your church. So here are the three questions. Who do we pray to? What do we pray for? And why do we pray? So we'll go ahead and jump in on number one. Who do we pray to? Verse 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The quick answer to this question, who you pray to, according to Paul, is the Father. But Paul's not only telling us that here by praying to the Father, he's also telling us just how, how our hearts should be whenever we pray and, and where our hearts should be for whenever we pray. Paul set it up in the In a matter of two verses, he set up a whole reality of how our prayer life for the church should look. Who do we pray to? We pray to the Father. What does this mean for us? If he's my father, and he's your father, and he's your father, and he's your father, what does that make us? Family. It makes us brothers and sisters. And that's what Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters. It makes us family. By Paul praying to the Father, he shows us that he isn't just praying for his church, but he's praying for his family. He's praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's look at the big picture here. Remember, when when Paul wrote this, this prayer, he was imprisoned in shackles and chains, And this is a bonus verse for you guys today. This is the verse right on top of the text that we were talking about. Verse 13, before we get to the prayer, he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. He's talking about his imprisonment here, his sufferings, that he was imprisoned. And and most people... Most people, whenever they're in prison, they consider that to be like a a lower point in their life, right? (laughs) How often in life do we find ourselves in the valleys that come with life, and we pray, God, deliver me from this situation. And that's okay. Sometimes all you can muster up the faith to say whenever you're hurting is help. And that's a good prayer. But here we see that that Paul is showing us a better way. He's showing us a mature way. And he says here that, you know, he's not doing that. He's actually doing the opposite. He's He's not saying a prayer centered around himself. 
and, and thinking about his own situation, he's doing the opposite. He says, hey, I know that I'm in a rough place, but don't be discouraged from my sufferings. Despite the valley that I find myself in, you know, I just want to pray for you, and I want to encourage you, and I want to love you, despite where he found himself. You know, let me be really honest with you guys. I get frustrated because I see people around me experience life change and the freedom that comes with it, and I think it's so amazing. But sometimes, if I'm being honest with you, whenever I'm watching this happen for other people, I myself, at that same time, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Sometimes I feel like I'm drowning, like I can barely keep my head above the water. And so whenever I I see that, it can be frustrating. And maybe that some of you today, that you're frustrated because you've been coming to church for a while or even a long time, and you hear Pastor Byron preach about life change through Jesus week in and week out, and you see it happen for other people. They experience life change, but you have yet to experience that same life change, or, or you've even experienced it in the beginning, but then you slowly found yourself in a, in a place of, of being what feels like stuck or even slipping back into unhealthy habits. You feel stagnant in your faith. And I've been there, but I want to show you something that could change everything today. Paul is showing us here what it looks like to pray for to the Father with humility. He says, as I pray for you, I kneel before the Father. Humility is a strange word. It's one of those words that, that everybody knows the word humility, but like, what does it mean? Like, every, you're going to get all kinds of answers for what it actually means. And I love C.S. Lewis, his definition of humility right here. You'll see it says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's what we see here that Paul is doing. Despite the struggles that Paul is going through, he chooses to spend his time and efforts praying for his church, praying for the people that he loves. I want to take a moment and ask you a straightforward question. It's a question that I've asked myself many times. And I want you to sincerely answer this for yourself, because if there's an opportunity for you to walk out of these doors different than the way that you came in, I want us to to capitalize on that together here today. So here's my question. When was the last time that you prayed a prayer like this for someone else? When was the last time that you honestly prayed for someone else in our church? Can I make a suggestion to you today? Out of love, that... Maybe you haven't experienced life change because you think about yourself too much. If you want to see the Lord change your heart, let's take after Paul's example. 
and pray for the people around us. No greater love is, is that of a man who gives up his own life for another. If you are dissatisfied with your life and you want to see God move in your life, let's start praying for the people around us and start praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's time for you today to lay down your life in your prayer life so that you can lift up another. I think you'll be surprised how your heart responds whenever you pray for other people. I'm not going to stand up here today and say that your life situations will change when you want them to change. I mean, look at Paul. He was not guaranteed to make it out of prison alive. But there he was. He was praying for his church. Listen to what I'm about to say. This is important. God is less concerned about delivering you from your circumstances, and he's more concerned about delivering you from you. A lot of times God will wait to deliver us from our situations in our life just because he's more concerned about delivering us from ourselves. Some of you might have some pushback on that. But let me ask you a question. Who has failed you more than you? Who keeps you away from God more than you? God wants to deliver you from you. You're, you're your own worst enemy. And Paul knows that. He said, I die, I die to myself daily. Less of me, Lord, more of you. He understood this. We want to change our situation, but God wants to change our heart. Be like Paul and pray for the brothers and sisters in your church. Remember the story about my sister when I was in the first grade? Why did I bring her to show and tell? Because she was my sister. She was mine. I felt like she was just as much mine as she was my parents. Imagine what it could do for the culture of our church and even for the culture of our city. If everyone in this room today at Redemption Church saw everyone else here as my brother, my sister, that you're mine. They're just as much mine as they are my father's. Think about that. That not only are they mine, but they're just as much mine as they are my father's. So I should love them the same way that my father loves them. Imagine what that could do for the culture of our church and the culture of our city. If you looked at the people to your left and to your right and you said, I love you so much that I choose to get on my knees and pray to the Father for you. Be humble. Get down on your knees and pray to our Father for our church and watch how God works through you. So who do we pray to? The Father. Where should our heart be? For the family. 
And that leads me into my important second question. What do we pray for? Okay, so we need to pray. We pray to the Father. But what do we pray for? Verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We can see here that Paul's focus for what to pray for was for his church to be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in them and that his church would be filled with the fullness of God. That word dwell means to live as a resident. So Paul says, so that Jesus may live as a resident in your heart, that each and every day the Spirit of God himself would reside in your heart and that you may be filled to the fullness of God. So back again, remember my baby sister and how I brought her to first grade, and I was so proud of her because she was mine. Well, my sister's 20 now, and she recently left for, for a mission trip to Africa, and uh, she probably had like a good three days on the African plains before she got hit with some crazy, nasty bacteria in Africa. It got to the point where the doctors were so concerned about her that, that her organs might start shutting down. They considered calling the American embassy because they wanted to do that if, if they had to bring her into surgery at the last second. They weren't quite sure what was going on, but they knew it was not good at all. And my sister was quite literally like fighting for her life on the other side of the planet. My parents were losing their minds. <laughs> I, mean, I told everybody afterwards that, that all it took was their daughter to go to the other side of the world and get attacked by some crazy Wakandan African bacteria for my parents to get really Pentecostal really fast. with the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of the Most High. That's what those group texts look like. But in reality, that was the thing to do because my parents were praying before God our Father for their daughter's life. And thankfully, after days of prayer and days of what I imagine must be like the worst time of your life, she made it back to the States, and now she's recovering, and now she's getting back to her, her vibrant, healthy self, and she's sitting on our second row. Praise God, she made it. 
But I was talking to my dad about this a couple of days later, and he was telling me his side of this crazy experience. And you know what he said to me? He said, Ethan, no one was going to fight harder for my daughter than me. He said, no one will pray harder and no one will fight harder for my children than I will. I did it for her and I will do it for you. That's what he said. That's what a good father says. No one will fight harder for their child's life than their father. And you know what? I'll, I'll piggyback off of that as well. As a big brother, I'll say, I would fight for my sister harder than anyone. I would go to hell and back for my sister. And in fact, you know, that's exactly what Jesus, our big brother, did. He went to hell and back for us. Our big brother, Jesus, lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died the death that we all deserve. He went to hell and back for you and me and defeated death and rose from the grave. He stood with his disciples and gave them the great commission to go and make disciples. And then he ascended into heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he's interceding in prayer on your behalf, day in and day out. A father's love knows no limit. That's right. And that's what Paul prays for his church. That they would know God's love. What do we pray for? That they would know God's love. Paul prays that his church, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We see four very important things to know of our Father's love from this. Number one, the Father's love is stability. We see that it's rooted and established. And he says that, I know that you are rooted and established in love, in the Father. Whenever, whenever life comes against you and it throws the winds at you and they blow you over, you need to remember that you are rooted and grounded in the Word of God because He is unshakable. He's unshakable. I really feel like someone needs to hear this today that the Father's love is strengthening. It says that he prays for power, that no matter what you're going through, no matter how weak you feel, our Father, his love is our power. Number three, our Father's love is sovereign. How wide and how long and how high and how deep that no matter what you go through in this life, he's still sitting on the throne. That's what I have to remember. This is, this is a big one for me because 
the craziest things will happen in your life. I remember we were sitting, <clears throat> because of this last hurricane, we were watching the water come up through our house, and it's just destroying everything, and we're just watching it happen, and we can't do a thing. We cannot do one thing. It was the most helpless I ever felt in my entire life that I couldn't tell my mom and my sister what we needed to do in that moment. But I remember I looked my mom in the face, and I said, God is still on the throne. This did not surprise him. He did not say, oh, no. How am, how am I going to save the Berwick family? <laughs> Think about that. Glory. Think about that for your own life. Whenever you're going through it and you're just like, everything's going to crap. Remember, he is on the throne and he is sovereign. The fourth thing, the Father's love is surpassing. It says that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. It doesn't matter how much you know, knowledge-wise. It doesn't matter how much you understand, wisdom-wise. His love will always surpass that. Whenever you think you know something, he's going to surprise you. Because his love surpasses. Always. Always. So the Father's love is stability, it's strengthening, it's sovereign, and it's surpassing. This is what Paul prayed for, that his church would know God's love. So what do we pray for? That our church would know God's love. Which leads me to the third point that ties all of this together. We've talked about who we pray for and what we should pray for, or who we pray to and what we should pray for. But this right here is what it's all about. So here it is, question three. Why do we pray? Why do we even pray? So let's look at our text, verse 20. It says, now to... Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Why do we pray? We pray because God is able to do far more abundantly than all all we can ask or imagine. I love this. Paul finishes the prayer for the church by saying, this is exactly who the Father is. This is why we pray to him. Why do we pray? Because he is able. What exactly does it mean that our Father is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine? What does that mean for us? It means we should think bigger thoughts. It means we should dream bigger dreams. And it means that we should pray bigger prayers. Don't let your small prayers be the ceiling for what God can do in your life. God gave me this passion for, for this dream and this passion for preaching nearly 10 years ago, and what was my response? I instantly disqualified myself. 
And for good reason, because I almost failed public speaking in university. And literally the only reason I think I passed that class is because my teacher liked me. That was it. The only thing I got out of that course was a refreshed fear of public speaking. (laughs) There's no logical reason that I should be up here today sharing a sermon with you. But when you don't think you can, remember he can. You pray to a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. When people hear your prayers, here's a litmus test if you have to see if, if you have big prayers. When people hear your prayers and they hear your dreams of what God can do through you and through your church, people should be looking at you like you're crazy. They should hear you and say, that's impossible. You're, you're crazy. It would take a miracle. There's no way. If you can do it on your own, then what's the point of praying for it? Pray prayers and dream dreams that only can be done by a move of God. Don't let your fear of failure prevent you from praying the prayer that could change everything. If what Paul said is true, if God is really able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, then God can do more in response to one prayer than we can do in our whole life. It's true. Look back at verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He can do more in response to one prayer than we can do in our whole lifetime. So make sure you pray big prayers. God's glory will be seen through the church and in Jesus for all generations. God can do more in response to one prayer than we can do in our whole lifetime. And he can do that right here at Redemption. Where you're sitting now started with a thought, started with a dream, a prayer, from Pastor Byron and Ashley. I mean, it started with a community group of 10 people. They launched the church with like 30 people. I wasn't here. I barely heard about it. There was only 30 people. They were renting the space. You're welcome. They were renting the space out for the bar. And then you look now and you say, okay, it's been three years. We moved into this building, and at the beginning of January, we were averaging about 80 people, which is fantastic. Now we run three services. Uh, I'm going to like the energy here on this one in this portion of the sermon. Here we go. We run three services, and last week we baptized... 37 people. Yeah. 
We had 367 people walk through our front doors last week. This year alone, we have baptized 67 people this year. And since the beginning of this church, three years ago, we had baptized 127 people. That is a lot of people. So what's my point? God is moving in our church, and God is moving in our city. And we praise him for that. We praise God for what he's done. But let's not stop there. Why? Because we serve a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. Our prayer, our vision for Redemption Church is to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. How many people? Every. Every. All. And here we are. If that's our prayer, and God is able to do more abundantly, far more abundantly than all we could ask or imagine, what's more than every? I don't know, but I would like to find out, so I'm going to keep showing up. Listen, we should, we should pray for the people that come into our church. We should pray for our, our brothers and our sisters. We should pray for the leaders in our church. We should pray for the resources to bless our church so that we can continue to grow and proclaim the name of Jesus. And we should pray for the influence of our church in this city and with its leaders. Because our God is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. So this is Paul's prayer to the church. We went over it. What does this mean for, for our church? It means just as Paul and shackles, we should take our eyes off of ourselves. And we should pray for our brothers and sisters in the church. It's time to take ownership of your church family. Whenever you look at people in this church, you should say, that's my brother. That's my sister, mine, just as much mine as my father's. Like Paul, we should pray for God to empower our brothers and sisters to grant them the greater knowledge of God's extraordinary love for them and every single person that walks through these doors. And we should do all these things because our God is able. I brought my sister to the first grade show and tell because I valued her. I was proud of her, and I was proud of the fact that she was mine. And that's how I feel about Redemption Church. Whenever I tell people about redemption, I tell them about my church and what God's doing here. When I look at all of you, I see my brothers and my sisters. 
mine. And that's how we should view the church. Look at what God is doing in our church. Life changed through Jesus. I encourage you to pray for your church and go show and tell the city of what God is doing at Redemption Church. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.